turn to Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32, and please stand for the reading of God's Word. We are continuing in Genesis. Genesis is the book that forms and shapes God's people for them to understand life in the land, uh, life in God's promised land. And so they are to understand how they are to live on mission for Him, to live according to His ways, right where God sends them. Sorry, of course, I didn't turn to the right spot in my Bible automatically. I'm human. Here we go. Genesis 32, verses, verse 22. The same night he rose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his eleven children, and crossed the fort of Jabez. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? He said, Jacob. And then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. And he said, Why is it that you ask for my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of the tent. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So just the other day, I was uh, looking in the news, and there on my Twitter feed, I read that the police were called to Walmart on Platt Avenue where everything is under lock and key and you cannot possibly get anything without having someone come in there for you in order to unlock it. And then you look at it and then you tell them, I think I'm going to put this back. To which they go, ugh. And then that's your exchange at Walmart on Platt Avenue. It's a wonderful sight that comes. But because of social distancing, apparently somewhere in like the cold cut aisle or something like that, Someone got too close to another person, and right in between ham, there was a fist fight. A fist fight over social distancing. Someone was so triggered that they were so upset that it led them to a fist fight. How in the world did they let their feelings get the best of them, so much so that in this moment of heightened anxiety and stress, that they wanted to wring someone else's neck. People, you sit there and you laugh, and you're like, ha, 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 but the joke's on every one of us. Why? Because I know that at least in traffic, you have felt like wringing someone's neck. Or maybe when one of your children acts like a weirdo in the grocery store aisle, you at least want to leave them there and abandon them. You at least feel that way at times. And so you know that those feelings in some way are seeds of insecurity deep in your heart. Which, this is kind of funny, but a few years ago, someone asked me, and I asked a close friend of mine, Hey, how does Vince get so zen? 
which is the weirdest thing in the world, okay? Because if you know me, I am highly stressed out and anxious on a regular basis, okay? So I think what they meant, or what she meant, was how in the world could he keep it still while having four kids on vacation and having to get them from one place to another while on the metro with them, you know, tempting things like licking the pole on the metro station train, you know? How in the world could he keep still? More or less, what they wanted to know is how in the world could he keep so present that he doesn't let his feelings get the best of him in those moments. So, of course, I laugh because if you know me, I am not still. There is always a raging storm. A raging storm of insecurity, of stress, of anger, of defensiveness, of blame shifting that at any moment might come out. Given the right cocktail, I will blow up. And it is built up from many years of trauma, being wrong, being hurt myself, hurting other people, having to look myself in the mirror. And I've built many bad habits. How in the world can people like me get censored? Uh, it led me a few years ago to really search for some help and I went to counseling to talk about my anger and why in the world am I so angry that I feel like I'm about, like, like I'm a lit fuse in TNT and I'm about to blow up at any given moment. Why, why am I like this? How did this happen? And so the question for a lot of us is how in the world can we actually get to be centered, zen, to get this position to where you could actually look at your feelings objectively and have some sort of control of them? You know, and I'm not just talking about right thinking, but how are you in the world healed in the whole person? You know, whenever I'm talking to someone and I bring up something traumatic, I know exactly what it looks like. It happens in your person. The person starts to sweat. They don't look make eye contact anymore. They start to look off. They start to engage their memory bank of that traumatic experience. Their breath is shortened actually see them grab for their neck a little bit to protect themselves. They feel insecure. They feel anxious. They feel scared. And it happens physiologically, which lets you know it's not just in their head, but it's in their whole person. And what the beauty of Christianity is, is that the gospel is not just a head religion. It is not Gnosticism that tells you to escape, but rather it is whole person healing in the person of Jesus Christ. See, the Christian story is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of the gospel. And it brings not just a new way of thinking. No, it's a new way of being in the world. It is a new creation. Jesus didn't just preach. He didn't just teach as if he was downloading Gnostic ways of being in the world. No, rather, he was bringing new creation in. He was ripping open heaven and earth. He was bringing history uh, with his person, and he was rewriting it. He brought a kingdom that displaces the kingdom of the world. This broken world is being replaced with wholeness. It means real justice, real equity, real hope, real health will be and is being in full 
and made full and will be complete when he returns. Now yesterday, I did listen to about an hour or so of mental health stories on COVID-19. Right? You see, we're all, as a society, trying to find this wholeness. Trying to find something to bring our lives together. Trying to get zen. Trying to get centered. Trying to be present. Trying to be healed from anxiety in this, this crazy world. Especially during COVID-19. We experience grief. We want to run people off the road. We want to strangle someone in the cold cut aisle. And so... What a lot of people have done is appeal to Eastern practices such as yoga or mantras and meditation. And what they appeal to this is, is because you're acting out in your body through stretching, through repeating something over and over and over again, through thinking about something over and over again, to center and to position yourself in the present. But you're doing it with your body as well. It isn't just your mind. And one of the things that Christianity could do a great disservice to themselves is to only locate the healing and the gospel somewhere 15 feet off the ground. The gospel touches down on the earth and it touches you in your person. And God comes and meets you in your person. It doesn't hover 15 feet off the ground. No, God breaks into time and space and history. Jesus is the good news with skin on. And his people, united to him in faith, live into that kingdom and demonstrate in flesh and blood, bringing real, genuine healing, head and heart together, body and soul operating together. The resurrection was bodily and it's historic. And it's a new creation. It is not Gnostic platitudes to be written down and put on a poster to make you feel good on the inside as if it was some kind of psychologist sort of thing. Okay? It's not just good for Twitter. It is good for your workplace and for your marriage. And so, someone's probably saying, oh my gosh, he's somewhere in the clouds, 30,000 feet in theology right now. Homeboy, come down and put the cookie jar close to me to where I can get the cookie. So, what does this mean? This means that the story of Jacob wrestling with God points the way for God's people toward true healing, telling them how they be made, how they can be made whole in the face of anxiety and turmoil. Jacob is about to meet his brother, the one who is betrayed and who is he is certain Esau is going to kill him. And so how in the world is God's promises going to be true to him? So he feels all this anxiety, this turmoil within him. Is God going to be true? He's having a crisis of faith. How is this going to happen? He is alone with his thoughts. It says Jacob was alone. It is dark. He is vulnerable. He crosses the river. There's no way back. He's as good as dead. He crosses this river. And so he's fearful. He's freaking out. And so he wants to know, is God going to be faithful? And that's where a lot of us find ourselves today. Is God going to be faithful? Is God going to meet me when I'm feeling scared and when I'm anxious, when I don't know if I'm going to have a job tomorrow? Is God going to be there? And he isn't floating 15 feet off the ground. No, he comes in flesh and blood. In this story, God encounters Jacob 
not with some Gnostic platitude for the brain, but no, in person. In person. And it will affect him deeply in his person. And he will bear the marks in his person of encountering the living God. And so the story tells us that in the midst of anxiety, wholeness is found in God alone, and it's through confrontation, confession, and conversion. Listen very carefully to the plural, conversion. Okay, so first, confrontation. Jacob's trouble, and he's fearful. He sent his family ahead, and his riches are ahead of him. Everything about him, his identity is moving forward. He's stuck on one side, and he's all alone. He's completely powerless. But yet the living God meets him face to face. And he knows it's the living God, although the narrator starts off in order to build a little suspense for you, that it says that he uh, is uh, met by a man and he wrestled. Which is, everyone's all like, where did this man appear from? Okay? Which lets you to know, as soon as the author does this, it's not just any man. Okay? So much so that when they start wrestling... Jacob's hip is put out of place after a while just by the mere lightest of touches. So, if you run into a man who, with the lightest of touches, can put out the most powerful center of, person, uh, of a person just by a light touch, I sign that man, uh, you know, uh, they, they need to get him on MMA. Why? Because this guy is powerful. If you run into a man like that, that's crazy, okay? But Jacob rather understands who this is. He calls the place Peniel, which means face-to-face with God. And he believes that he has met God face-to-face and he, face, and he has wrestled him. This is the way it plays out. It is a physical wrestling in physical darkness. And wrestling works as this imagistic language to highlight what is happening internally with Jacob, but it is also happening to him in his person. God brings us to the dark nights of our soul we will, where we will feel it physiologically. We will actually cry. We will actually sweat. We will actually tremble from fear. We will feel sorrow so deep that we will despair of life. God brings us there. He confronts us. He confronts us with himself. See, it happens to Jacob in his person. He wrestled. He was injured. But yet he clung and he will limp. And God meets you, his people, in person with his word. God comes to his people. And he confronts them, and we know that on the cross that he confronts his people, where we see our sin right there. There it is. Meeting God isn't just a mystical experience. No, it happens in our very person. When you have been confronted by God on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ, you cannot live the same way, can you? It will get into your heart. And it will come out in your hand. And you will actually want to start to treat people differently. Why? Because you are being made whole by the great physician. By his wounds, we are healed. We are being transformed. 
by meditating and seeing and being confronted by the Lord God in His Word. And so we wrestle day and night whenever we are feeling sad or we're insecure or we're anxious. Where do we go? We go to the one who confronts us with His person and we go and we pray and we wrestle day and night when it is sad and we don't know why this is happening. Not because He'll give us the answer, but because He will give us Himself. Jacob doesn't just get God's stuff here. Oh, he gets God himself. Whenever we come face to face with another person, there's this dynamic, right? We're confronted. We're confronted with, with weird things, right? Uh, think of it this way. Uh, I have a bad habit, a very bad habit, okay? Whenever I go to the grocery store and I'm particularly hungry, one of the things I do is I buy junk food. You know, there's like lots of healthy food. That could have like asparagus and like Brussels sprouts, which is the it girl of the culinary world. I don't know how Brussels sprouts made it because it was a joke when I was a little kid. Now suddenly everyone needs Brussels sprouts. So anyway, Brussels sprouts are in the cart along with spinach and kale, which was yesterday. And suddenly we have this great plethora of food. But as I'm in the checkout aisle, suddenly I see something like funnies and I'm all like, hey, what's up, girl? And I will put that in my cart, okay? And I will check out, and then I will get home. And suddenly, I am confronted face-to-face with my wife, and I cannot keep it a secret. Why? Because the bag is hiding in my car, and I will tell her for no good reason. I ate a bag of Funyuns all in one sitting. It was delicious, but it was terrible for me. Because there's this dynamic, and God will confront His people, and it is a gracious confrontation. Although sometimes when we are confronted, we will be injured. God doesn't agree with us all the time, does He? If you want a God who agrees with you all the time, look for a genie, or maybe like like some soothsayer, or like, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, Miss Cleo, or something like that, the psychic lady that was on the... Uh, in the 90s or something. If that's what you want, someone to agree with you all the time, look for that person. But if you want to be confronted by the living God, be prepared to be told that you ain't got it together. And so, confrontation by God, Jacob gets God, doesn't get God's stuff, but he gets God himself. Think about this. Whenever we're confronted in, by God and his call to worship, what is the next thing we do? We sing these songs about God, and then suddenly we have got to confess our sins. We have to confront our problems. We can't ignore them. And so we've got to confront the things that cause us shame. We've got to confront our guilt. We've got to confront our sins. We've got to confront our blame shifting. We can't leave them alone. God will not leave them alone, so much so that He will bear the penalty for those things on the cross in order that you may be made whole and healed. It is not this otherworldly, Gnostic thinking. It is real. And you must, for real, confront these ugly truths about yourself and your life and your world. And that will lead us to confession. So, notice here, Jacob is wrestling. He is, his hip put out, 
and we will not let him go. And so the Lord asks, or says, let me go, for day has broken. Why? Because if you get a good sight of the Lord in the middle of the day, you will no longer just see the outline of his face. You'll see his full face, and what will happen? You will surely die, it says. Uh, let me put it this way. There was uh, a number of people in the Old Testament where if they did things not the right way, such as uh, Nadab and Abihu, like going into those holy of holies, and bringing the strange and unauthorized fire, it says, that they were consumed by fire by the Lord. It says that no one may look on upon the face of the Lord and live. And so the Lord says, uh, let me go. And then he says, I will not let you go until you bless me, until you heal me and you make me whole. Why? Because he knows desperately that the things that made him rich, having all those goats, having multiple wives and romance, having the blessing, having the birthright, having everything that he possibly wanted could not mean anything to him unless he had what was in his hands at that time, which was God himself to bless him and be with him. Then he would be able to face all the dangers of the world. He needed it. And so God asked him, what is your name? God knows his name. He wants Jacob to confess something to him. And so Jacob confesses and reveals his identity. He reveals that he is Jacob, the deceiver, the heel grabber, the usurper. That's who he is. And he needed to confess it. And when we confess, we confess at least a couple of things with our confession. One is that we sin. We have sought out for ourselves what only God can give us. Money, romance, job security, domestic peace, good grace. We want from those things only what God can give us, and that is true wholeness, true healing. We want paradise, but only God could possibly give it to us. Jacob's got to confess it, that he's been a deceiver and a heel grabber, that he's tried to get it with the work of his own hands, and he's never gotten it. But what else does he confess? The inability to gain it by our efforts. You know, at Grace and Peace, we have a little bit of a mantra here. You know what that mantra is? It comes from John 1.20. Meditate on this for, for a little bit, Okay. Whenever you're trying to get center in the morning, or you're like me and you do your 20-minute yoga flow in order to get limber for the morning and keep up with four kids, okay? What happens is you need, we, we say this all the time, you need to confess to John that I am not the Christ. It says that he confessed but did not deny. So what does this mean? It means that by our own ability. And by our own confession that we are limited, broken, tiny human beings that we cannot do and we cannot get everything for ourselves or other people. You cannot be the healing Savior for your kids. You cannot be the healing Savior for your parents. You cannot be the healing Savior. That isn't who you are. You are too limited and too little to actually get that done. And that person next to you, that person can't possibly give you what your heart most desires. 
that person next to you is not the Christ either. That's why we say it. Do you know in Alcoholics Anonymous what is the first step? It's confession. To the angry person, we need to say, I am an angry person. We need to say, I am insecure. We need to say, I am fearful. We need to say these things and confess it in order to break the cycle of addiction. Because we need help from outside of us. Help that we can't possibly obtain or secure by ourselves. We need Jesus to do it for us. We need to come to terms with who we really are. So you and I, we need to come to terms with who we really are. We need to confess it. And we need to be needy. And so what we need on the day-to-day ground of life on the ground is we need these little conversions. Not just one conversion. Yes, God is the one who makes it happen. He's the one who likes calling uh, calling the sun forth, creating it out of nothing, and then giving it its name. He, too, causes the light to shine in our hearts so that we, too, may have faith. He's the one who causes it out of nothing, and that is conversion. But we have these little conversions throughout the day. It is the conversion of doing one thing your entire life. Kids make you upset, you get angry. Whereas this new conversion is that you rest in the security and the truth of who you are. That no matter how weird and incompetent your kids may be acting at that one moment, it does not change who you are in your identity. And it allows you to live in a different way. Suddenly, Jacob has gone from being the deceiver to Israel, the one who strives with God. Notice the conversion of the way it goes for him. He was once a strong and powerful man who was able to move a stone over a well, which would take four men to do it. He did it by himself. Then suddenly, God messes with Jacob's person by displacing his hip so that he would live the rest of his life so that the power center, if you're a wrestler, this is the power center of your body enabling you to do this awesome thing, to use your strength. No longer does Jacob have strength. He will be needy and dependent. He is crippled for life. And when God confronts us and we confess our need, we may be crippled for life. Because we can't do it on our own strength. And notice he changes his name. No longer. No longer are you the usurper, the deceiver, Jacob. You are Israel who strives with God. He wrestles. What does this mean for you and I? Daily we have to rest in the true identity in Christ. That in Christ we are righteous. We're accepted. We're loved. We're wanted. We're chosen. You are no longer insecure. You are no longer the one who messed up. You don't have to any longer be the failure. You can be something different. You can be changed. And here, Jacob is changed to Israel. 
He went from the one who would cling to his own ability to game the system and take advantage of others, that he would be, in order that he may be blessed, into one that was needy. As one person says it, we won't know that Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we've got. And that's where Jacob is. He needs to be blessed, and he knows the one who will bless him, and he's got him in his clutches, so he won't let him go. It's these little conversions, these little opportunities to live out the new identity, the new truth about yourself. God says, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is the power of God in you, both the will and the work for his good pleasure. It is God in you willing to so that you will work it out. So what does it look like? It looks like meeting Jesus every day, confessing that you're limited, confessing that you need help and hope. You see, healing will lead to scarring in your life. It'll lead to scarring. You may remember your trauma always, but over time, you'll be scarred. And it's only by this working out the practice of little conversions. Whenever you feel anxious, angry, fearful, remembering what is true about you and who you are in Christ. That's what it looks like. So what does it look like in practice to be a centered person, a person made whole? What does this look like? Well, Polycarp of Smyrna, the first bishop there, it looked like feeling the anxiety of the ones he loved, of all his people, looking at them, caring for them, praying for them, and seeing them carted off and taken away. And when they didn't confess their, when they didn't renounce their faith, they would be killed in the arena. Until one day, Polycarp himself would be brought into the arena to where he was burned alive. But where did he find his identity? It was in Christ. And so that he would sing. He would sing hymns while he was being burned. Christians in the third century facing a plague, it was said of them this, most of our brothers showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need, administering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors, and cheerfully accepting their pain. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. When you have security in Jesus, when you believe that He has secured your blessing, that He's done it for you, then you're free to love your neighbor. Not to characterize them, not to oppress them, not to put them on blast on Twitter, but to love them, even at great personal cost to yourself. You're then free to actually uh, go forward and care for people who might harm you. Why? Because you have this deep security in Jesus, knowing that Jesus is the true wrestler who secured the blessing of God, who faced God face to face. And was overcome. That from his wholeness and his loss of it, the great cost to himself, 
regain it. You see, Jesus is a true wrestler who wasn't just justified, but was killed to bring the healing to this world. Jesus is a true wrestler who in the dark night of his soul wasn't answered so you could be answered. Jesus is a true wrestler who clings to you and won't let you go so that you can have his blessing. Jesus doesn't let you go. He doesn't quit on you. And how do we know? Because we know that Thomas said, until I see the scars in his hands and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Thomas wrestled. And then he saw the scars in the hands of Jesus and in his side. We remember what it cost. The scars of trauma. Yours, mine, our scars in the person of Jesus. And he will not let us go. Even that cost his life. So that we may have the blessing and that this world may be blessed through Him. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, I pray that now as we come to Your table, that we will see You, know You, and be transformed by Your grace in this supper. I pray that You would meet with us, and that we may know You face to face in the person of Jesus Christ who is the image of the invisible God, whom we see in a mirror dimly, but shall see face to face. Lord, help us to meet you now in this supper. Lord, confront us that we may confess that we may experience little conversions growing more mature in Jesus day by day. In Christ's name, amen.